It's been a rough week for some folks on Instagram, at least folks in certain Christian circles. A couple of weeks ago, Joshua Harris, a somewhat well-known Christian author, made an announcement. If you've ever been to our Engage class, you know we give away one of his books called Why Church Matters. We've given a lot of those away. Uh, He's more well-known, though, for a rather landmark book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. But a couple of weeks ago, he announced he was deconstructing. What does that mean, you might wonder? It sounds painful. I think there's a pill for that uh, now. But uh, in his words, he said this. He said, by all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. He formally renounced his Christian faith. A person whose thoughts on dating shaped an entire generation of Christians is now saying he's done with Christianity altogether. Uh, this past week, also on Instagram, another somewhat high-profile Christian leader made a similar announcement, uh, a guy named Marty Sampson. He's a songwriter. He's been with Hillsong, the church movement out of Australia. Uh, he's ministered with Hillsong, writing worship songs since the early 1990s, and yet this week, on his own Instagram page, he said this, Time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith, and it doesn't bother me. I am not in anymore. So he also renounced his Christian faith. And we could sit and psychoanalyze these two guys. We could try to dissect their lives and see where things took a turn for them. We could do all kinds of examination of these situations. But at the end of the day, it really just comes down to one simple idea, response. Each of us responds to situations that come our way, the events of our lives, the unexpected things, and And maybe we respond positively, sometimes we do. Uh, Most of the time, though, it doesn't seem to work that way. Most of the time, that's not our first response, is it? Uh, A lot of times, things come at us so unexpectedly or things come at us so fast that we just respond with our gut out of of whatever we got. That's what we respond with. And and responses are exactly what we're going to talk about today. The parable that we'll examine is all about different ways that we can respond to what God is doing. And we're going to find out what we need in order to respond in a way that pleases God. You may recall that we began this summer series in the parables with a parable that in some ways sets the tone for all the other parables. We began by looking at the parable of the soils, or as it's sometimes known, the parable of the sower. This parable appears in all three of what we call the synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, These three gospels have shared stories, shared accounts, shared uh, parables. And and in this case, the parable of the soils appears in all three of these parables. And it serves the same basic function in all three of the gospels. It's the first recorded parable that uh, begins Jesus' teaching, this new way of teaching in parables. And, and Jesus taught, uh, taught quite a bit in parables. In fact, at one point, Matthew says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable. So Jesus obviously uses parables a lot in his teaching. In fact, about one-third of all the teaching that Jesus does is in parables. That's a lot. 
So it's fitting uh, at the beginning of the summer, fitting for us to to uh, use this parable to introduce parables, kind of set the tone for what we'd be talking about this summer. And today, even though we don't technically finish our study until next week, uh, it's kind of a bookend to our summer a little bit. So I want us to revisit this parable because it, it not only teaches us something about parables, that's what we talked about specifically back in June. You can listen to that message from June 9th if you, if you missed it. But, but this parable also teaches us how we respond. And so I want us to just read the parable together, and as I said, it appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We started the summer with Matthew's account. We're going to read today from Luke's version. This is Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4. As a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Then his disciples asked him, What does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it's in parables, so that looking they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy Having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. But the seed on the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit. So one of the reasons that the gospel writers use this parable to introduce all the other parables is because Jesus himself provides the interpretation for it. He teaches it, and then he tells his disciples what the parable means. So it's helpful for them, and it's helpful for us. It sort of sets the tone for how we can understand Jesus' parables that occur all throughout the gospels. But one of the other reasons that I think this parable plays such a prominent role is because it's really a parable about responses. So you can already see, perhaps, that this is a parable all about responses. Jesus' own interpretation tells us there's different ways that people respond to the word of God. He tells us the, the seed in the parable is the word, verse 11, and the four different soils represent different ways of responding to the word. And the beauty of the parable is that Jesus takes everyday events and people and uses them to teach us important spiritual lessons about ourselves. And and in this case, Jesus takes a very common occurrence, a very common person of a farmer, a person planting seeds. Only there's something a little bit odd about this particular farmer. Now, let me preface the next thing I'm going to say. Let me preface it by saying I grew up in the city. All my food came from the grocery store or a restaurant. I don't know anything about farming, so please wait until after you leave here, until after I'm out of earshot to laugh about my utter lack of farming knowledge. I don't know anything. Now that's out of the way, I'm going to say something 
odd, something's odd about this farmer in this parable. Because notice at the beginning of the parable, he's, he's scattering seed. And he's not really planting in any kind of a careful way. Uh, some seed falls here, some seed falls there. He's not planting in rows. He's not, uh, it doesn't even seem like he's plowed first or cleared rocks out of the field. It's not the most efficient way to plant a crop. I mean, all the things a farmer should do to ensure good, healthy crop with as few problems as possible, he hasn't done any of that stuff. So perhaps it should come as no surprise that this person has four different types of responses to their, to their farming work, to their sowing. Now let's look briefly at these four responses. The first is what we might call the non-response. Look at verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, Jesus says. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, it was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. And then Jesus tells us what this first uh, soil is all about. Verse 12. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. So this first response, these people who hear the word, they don't have any chance for it to take root. They don't, have, uh, they don't respond to the word that the farmer is spreading. And certainly all of us know people like this. Maybe you are or have been a person like this, a person who hears the word and it doesn't have any effect in your life. It doesn't settle in and take root in your heart. It doesn't grow. Well, that's disappointing, certainly, but it's no surprise to Jesus. He knows that not everyone is going to respond. In fact, throughout his earthly ministry, he experienced this over and over. There's one moment in particular when a large crowd all turns away, uh, turns away and walks away from Jesus. Uh, John 6 tells us this. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed. So many of these people, they've been walking around with Jesus, uh, kicking the tires of Jesus, if you will, and now they hear this, this heart of his message, this, this bold claim by Jesus, and they walk away. They reject him. Well, that's not uncommon. Lots of folks are, are very skeptical of the exclusive claims that Jesus makes. I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I heard somebody say, oh, there's lots of ways to God, or all religions are basically the same, or something like that, I'd be rich. So would you, right? But here's Jesus scattering the seed of truth, that that, that he's one with the Father, that he alone is the exclusive pathway to life. And and so many people can't handle that, that that seed never takes any root. That's one possible response, and and all too common, unfortunately. But there's other responses. The second response is, is what we might call a rootless response, rootless. Look at the parable again, verse six. Other seed fell on the rock, When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Jesus says in verse 13, The seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Having no root, these uh, these believe for a while and then fall away in a time of testing. So Jesus opens up a real can of worms here. He's pretty good at doing that. He, He gets to the heart of this question, Can a person lose their salvation? Or, or maybe another way to ask it is, is, how do you know you're really saved, right? And depending on who you ask, the answer to that question might be different. And now, Jesus opens up a can of worms. We're not going to dive into that can and swim around this morning. We're going to talk about this idea later on in the fall when we study the book of Hebrews. It's a, our anchored series that's coming up. We'll talk about this because it's a very important idea throughout the book of Hebrews. But today, let me just address it this way. 
Throughout the Bible, faith is the response to the gospel that saves. In other words, a faith is how a person is saved, right? But what's important to remember is that faith is a gift of grace, right? Paul in Ephesians tells us this. He says, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. So two key ideas right there. Being saved comes through faith. Through faith, that's what it says. Uh, that's the response. But faith is a gift from God. It's, it's not from you. It's not from me. So if a person is saved... That means that God has chosen to give that person salvation. He gives us the faith that we need to respond, right? So when you ask the question, can a person lose their salvation, you're really asking, would God give a person salvation and then take that gift away? Well, when you kind of frame the question out like that, it becomes a little more clear. That's not in line with what we know to be true about God. He doesn't act that way. So all that to say, this is a person, this, this rootless response in the parable is, is not a saved person. This is not a person who's, who's been saved and then throws it away. This is a person who maybe has an emotional response. They, they like Jesus, they like his ideas, but that response doesn't take root in their heart. Their heart is not regenerated. They're not born again. That, that total transformation that happens when a person is, is truly saved. So hopefully that's clear. If you still have questions, blame Jesus because he opened up the can of worms in the first place. And then come back in September, we'll talk more about it then. The third response is is similar to the second one. The third response is, is what we'll call the reckless response, reckless. Look at how Jesus describes this type of person. Verse seven, other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. And Jesus goes on to explain this, verse 14, as the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. So this person hears the word, they they interact with it, but uh, they never really lock it in. And just like the second type of response, there's not that, that life transformation here. There's not a true turning of repentance. And so when, when challenge comes, when worries come, or when this person simply gets a, a better feeling from riches or pleasures of life, then they fall away. We know people like this too, or maybe again, you are a person like this, or you have been. But here Jesus is telling us something very, very important. He's, if our exposure to God's word doesn't change us, doesn't change our priorities, the way we think, then it won't last. Our response is not complete. It's not that total life change. The fourth and final response is what we'll call a faithful response. Look at verse 8. Still other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. And again, Jesus interprets this fourth soil in, in verse 15, the fourth response. He says, but the seed is in the good ground. These are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit. So the faithful response is is the only response that's totally positive. Some of the others kind of seem positive for a time, but this is the one that remains positive throughout. And it's a very positive outcome. Jesus says it's a hundred times what was sown. So there's fruit and there's plenty of it. But I think the key observation for this response is to understand who does what here. In this response, the the listener, the person, is the one who receives the word and holds on to it. 
That's the heart of this response. And God, ultimately, he's the one who produces the fruit. He brings the fruit. So the listener simply holds on to the word, and God is the one who produces the fruit. This person holds on. They allow God's word to change them, to change their priorities, their actions, their thinking. They allow God to work his process in their life. It's just like a, a farmer can prepare land, can, can tend to the crops, all that sort of thing. But a farmer can't guarantee a yield, can't guarantee fruit. Only God is in control of that. Well, the same is true in our spiritual lives. This person responding holds on to the word, but God ultimately brings the fruit. So we're responsible for being obedient, letting God change us. God's responsible for the outcome of that obedience, the fruit that comes. And just as a farmer has different failures for for different reasons, but the fruitful crop can kind of overcome some of the failures, that seems to be a little bit of Jesus' point here. Like even though this one section of land didn't produce, had some problems, this other section produced so much that it kind of makes up for what's lacking over here. That's a little bit of what Jesus is after. He knows that even though the word is scattered all over different places, there's different responses But the places where it does take root and bear fruit are going to be very fruitful because God's the one who's in charge of making fruit. So these are four responses to God and to his word. And it's worth noting, only one of these is a good response. The other three are not. They're, they're, They're tragic for people who respond in those ways. So the heart of this parable is designed to show us a couple of key things. It shows us what the right response should be and how we should respond, and it also shows us how hard it is. That this life of faith, this life that Jesus is holding out for us, it's not for wimps. It is, it is not easy. It's hard. And that leads us to something else we need to notice about this parable and about these responses. There's, a, there's an undercurrent, if you will, in Jesus' teaching. It's not obvious the first time you read this parable or hear this parable, but it's important. And I chose for us to study Luke's version of the parable this morning because it highlights this this important undercurrent theme. So I want to read the parable one more time, and let's see if we can notice this undercurrent. Uh, Luke 8, again, starting at verse 4. As a large crowd was gathering, people were coming to Jesus from every town. He said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on. The birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground, and when it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Then his disciples asked him, What does this parable mean? So he said, The secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it's in parables, so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. The seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, having no root These believe for a while, but fall away in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they've heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit." So I don't know if you picked up on it. Let me highlight a couple of the choice words that Jesus uses. He describes these responses. He says some seed was 
trampled on. It was devoured. He says some people fall away in a time of testing. He says some is choked. There's thorns. Finally, he says part of the key to bearing fruit is enduring. So there's this theme. It's not readily apparent, but it's a theme that's just under the surface. Jesus is talking about endurance through trial and through danger. In Mark's account of this same parable, he talks about standing firm through persecution. So in each of these possible responses, there's obstacles at work. There's, there's outside pressure. There's danger. There's forces at work trying to trample or devour or test or choke out our response to the word. And I think that's an important thing to recognize, to, to bring up to the surface level, because it's not simply a matter of us just willing ourselves to respond to God's word. It's ultimately not entirely up to us. We respond with faith to the word of God, but our, it's a matter of our response plus God's willingness to subdue the external forces so that we can bear fruit. Ultimately, he's in charge. Like we said earlier, this, this faith even is a gift from God. He decides. And I think that should make us respond in a couple of ways. First, it should be very humbling for us, knowing how little of our faith response is really up to us. God's in control of everything. I think part of the proper response to God's word is just to recognize that, to be humble in the face of that. He's in control. We respond, and he's responsible for the fruit or not. So that should humble us. But it should also give us a sense of resolve or a sense of determination. This is no easy task, bearing fruit for God's kingdom. It takes work. It takes a certain amount of pain. It takes some real effort. Overcoming not only obstacles within ourselves, but, but external obstacles out of, out of our control. It goes back to farming. And now I'm really starting to stretch the limits of my knowledge of farming here. But... Farming, tending a crop, requires a certain amount of patience. It requires persistence. It requires consistently tending to the soil, the plants, the water, whatever else. Well, the same is true for us in our spiritual growth, right? Growth for Christians requires endurance. Elsewhere, this word endurance from verse 15, it's translated patience or persistence, the same idea. One of the things that Jesus is telling us here is that it's not necessarily a a one-time response to God's word. Each of these soils represents people. And we have to respond not just initially, not just the original time we hear and respond to God's word, but we have to continue to stay responsive to God and his word, letting it take root in our lives, letting it grow. Entering into that process with God so that we're changed over time. It requires patience. It requires persistence. It requires endurance. Now, one more thing we need to talk about. If you're following along in your sermon notes, you'll see at the bottom it says the bait and switch. And that's the last thing I want to talk about. Jesus really pulls a fast one here. He does something pretty sneaky with this parable. He tells this this parable, this story, to a large crowd. At the beginning of the parable, in fact, it says, uh, as a large crowd was gathering, people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, and he tells this parable to a large group of people, and he ends by saying, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. So in other words, Jesus is scattering his seed all over this crowd. He's doing exactly like the farmer in this parable. He scatters his seed on all kinds of soil, all kinds of people. Some are going to respond one way, some are going to respond another way, but he just scatters it freely, just like this parable. That's what Jesus does in real life, right? And we should listen to him with ears to hear. The parable is designed to force us to think about ourselves, to force us to evaluate our own life, our own response. What kind of a soil are we, really? 
How do we respond to God's message? How do we respond in times of persecution or trial when we feel trampled? Are we letting God's word take root in our lives, letting him change us over and over and over again? And God, see, Jesus, he wants us to think about how we respond, not just once, but all throughout our life. Is our life really marked by the right kinds of responses? Are we on a pathway that leads us to take root and grow strong and bear fruit? We should respond like that good soil, holding on to the word. Even though there's going to be trouble, trials of all kinds, persecution even, we should hold firmly and be the kind of responders that God can use to bear fruit. A life that stands firm in Christ is a life that's marked by continual solid responses, time after time, moment after moment, choosing to hold on to God's word. And if that was all there was to this parable, that would be great. That would be enough. That's a lifetime of work right there, just in these first five verses. None of us have yet mastered what it takes to live in the way that Jesus calls us to in every moment. So we could spend all of our life just trying to accomplish that for God's glory. But Jesus, he's sneaky. He pulls a bait and switch because that's not all there is to this parable. Jesus goes on and he explains the parable, but this time he's not talking to the large crowd. He's talking privately to his disciples. You could say he's concentrating on that that patch of really good crop that he's planted. And as he tells the disciples about this parable, he does something sneaky. He pulls the bait and switch because he puts the disciples not just in the role of the soil, not the ones just receiving the word, but he makes the switch. He puts them in the role of the farmer. See, Jesus, he teaches this parable to the crowd, and he turns around and he helps his disciples apply it in a different way. He explains the parable to them because he expects them to turn around and begin to scatter their own seed. He's preparing them for the mission and the ministry that they're going to have, spreading the word. And he tells them this so that they won't get discouraged. He wants them to go out on mission spreading God's word all over. But he knows that the result of their mission is up to God. So he teaches them this parable so that they're not going to get discouraged. When their listeners face obstacles, they can still press on. They can keep sharing the word, keep serving the Lord. They can stay on that mission even when it seems there's not very much fruit. Well, you and I are his disciples. We're supposed to respond to this parable in a couple of ways. First, Yes, examining our own response to God, our own ongoing response. Are we continually fertile soil? Do we remain fertile even in the face of hardship? Or do we become unresponsive, just ready to walk away? But the second way we need to respond is as disciples of Jesus, as his followers. Are we ready to go out and spread the word? To sow the word with as much abandon as Jesus does. Remember, this farmer... He's odd. He's scattering seed all over the place, trusting that God's going to produce fruit wherever he wants. In all our life, and all our interactions, just being ready to spread his word. We've got an unending supply of seed to work with, right? Jesus wants all of his disciples to be fertile soil that bear fruit, and part of that fruit is spreading the word and, and continuing on the mission that Jesus started. So it all starts with us in our own hearts, remaining fertile, holding on to the word, That's an ongoing process, but it continues with us taking the word that we hold on to and spreading it, sharing it freely, trusting God to bring about the fruit that he wants to bring. Let me pray for us. God, we want to be like the farmer in this parable. 
trusting in you, scattering your word, scattering your seed uh, all over this valley that you've placed us in, Lord. We know that we are uh, people who know what it means to face trials, who know what it means to face challenges of every kind. And we know that so often when you teach us those lessons that it's not just for ourselves, it's for the sake of other people, that we can be examples to follow, that we can be people who spread that word and, and encourage others in the same kinds of temptations and trials and challenges, Lord. And so I pray that you would help us to respond with fertile hearts, with, with, with rich, deep soil that is holding on to your word, continually making the right choices to, to, to hold on to you, to look to you, but even in that, uh, continuing to make the choice to be on mission for you to transform this valley with the one thing that we have that is transformative, and that's your word. And I pray that you would just uh, encourage us knowing that uh, we scatter the seed and you're in charge of the fruit and how freeing it is to be able to just uh, go and, and, and have the encounters and the relationships that you put in front of us knowing that, uh, that you're the one in charge of the fruit. And all we have to do is scatter the seed and, and follow your example, Lord. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.